We are rolling. We are rolling. Um, Rabbi, can I borrow some sunglasses just because the electricity is beaming from your shirt, from your, you know, the, 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 what's, what's the SNL skit? The guys who go out to the club, the night, the Roxbury shirt. Yeah. It is just so bright and beaming in my eyes. That, you know, you know uh, every Friday I do, I, I, I do the, 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 the wardrobe, um, check. So what will father Anderson make fun of me today? And um, uh, and I bring my kids in. Uh, guys, what, what do you think would uh, would pique the interest of Father Anderson? And my kids will go that one. Yeah. So you know, I I, I do try. It. I do try to uh, to to you know to be able to start that electric conversation. You you wear electric shirts. I don't wear socks. So between the two of that, you like you like picking on me because of my socks or lack thereof. Yes. Sometimes. Yes. Uh, all right. So uh, welcome back to the Priest and a Rabbi podcast. And uh, we are very excited that you're here. And while you're here. If you're on iTunes, you know, leave a comment. It's so great. If you if you have questions for us, a priest and rabbi that we can answer for you, do that. But uh, to like and share it is so helpful for us because it uh, it just it, it's good for the algorithm. Because then the podcast platform says, "Oh, people like these guys. Let's share them some more." Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So we are in the middle of Black History Month here in February, and uh, we last podcast we we got into um, got into some some good topics about uh, history of racism in worship and houses of worship. This week we want to talk about just how do you take on uh, the conversation about structural racism, but not just how do you do it in interfaith working. So and so we got a friend of yours who's coming on the show today, which should be pretty cool. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. Pretty excited. We are uh, bringing on Rabbi Eli Friedman, who is the associate rabbi at um, Congregation Road of Shalom in Philadelphia. They have a long-standing history, been around for a long time. Um, and uh, Rabbi Friedman's just a strong, staunch commitment to um, social justice issues um, and really trying to make the world a better place. Yeah, so you can see it at powerinterfaith.org, powerinterfaith.org. When you listen to this podcast, you're going to hear a lot of good stories, and you're going to want to know more about the campaigns they do, but also be inspired by the work they do, that when we all, as a as children of God, can come together, we can all get tempted to be tucked into our silos, into our respective churches and our respective temples and synagogues and mosques and just do us. Uh, but God has something so much bigger when we can find the time to really be united for mutual pain that God is calling us into to be the, the healers, uh, that allow God to work through us. Um, so much can get done. So let's be inspired by this, the power of interfaith work and how God is so much bigger than we can ever uh, dream or imagine and allow him to work through all of us. So let's get into this podcast. You ready for that, Rabbi? I am ready. Pop that collar. Ready. Let's get ready to roll. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the program hosts and their guests and are not necessarily those of WSTU, St. Mary's Episcopal Church, and Temple Bait Hyam. Products that may be mentioned are not necessarily intended as an endorsement. Any reproduction or retransmission of this broadcast is strictly prohibited. And now, WSTU presents a priest and a rabbi. Call in with questions and comments at 220-9788, 220-WSTU. Now, here's your host. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Father Christian Anderson at St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart, Florida, on a priest and a rabbi. Right next to me is the best-looking rabbi you've seen since this side of the Jordan River. He is... 
Rabbi Matthew Durbin from Temple Beth Hayam. Rabbi, you might be challenged today from a fellow colleague of yours who will be coming on the show in just a little bit. He's a handsome devil too. So the two of you on Valentine's Day are going to be some 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 heartthrobs bringing all the listeners to the show. Yeah, we're we're, we're very excited. We're very excited. It's going to be uh, it's going to be an awesome show this morning. We're going to tackle some uh, some 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 great issues and. Uh, I'm super excited. I'm super excited to bring you're, on. You're, you're so excited. You're sweating. <laughs> you're already sweating. So let's just get it out of the way. Okay. okay? Let's, get, let's get it out of the get way. Get it out of the way. Let, okay. let, let, let's talk. Okay. okay. So I, if everyone I walk into the studio. <laughs> I, 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 I get the, uh, the barrage of my attire that I'm wearing today. I thought oh, I was trying to be nice and dapper. And come on, come on. Let's say Okay. It. So if, if for all our listeners out there, wherever you're listening from, if you can go to the YouTube channel and WSTU Radio, you can see a video of our of our show, and you can see what Rabbi Durbin is rocking. He is rocking some straight up Hollywood nightclub uh, attire shirt. This dude, it is so hot, so moving, so powerful. He would walk onto the dance floor and people like, I ain't going to dance with that guy. He is just too smooth. He is too shaken. Come on. <laughs> so so where, where did you pick up this hot dapper shirt? And how much did it cost you? <laughs> uh, Nordstrom. Okay. How much did it put you back? Uh, I think it was on sale. You know, we Jews like the sales. Okay. Hey, that's just, just, just. It's horrible. <laughs> My God. <laughs> All right. And, 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 and what was what was the sale for? How much did you get it for? Oh, I I, I, I can't remember. Okay. I can't remember. All right. Well it, it it's dapper, it looks good. Did Rabbi Rose approve of this? Uh, she did. I actually, uh, I, I wore it in, in celebration of Valentine's Day today. Okay, so a happy Valentine's Day to you all. Um, St. Valentine, um, not really known for doing what the holiday is about, but it's great. He's there, there have been many challenges with it. You know, if we look at it from a Jewish perspective, you know, there, there, there have been some challenges. 1349, massive massacre that happens on Valentine's Day where, um, you know, Jews were, Jews were burned at the stake. But... Um, yeah, there's there's there, there's a lot of very challenging history with Valentine's Day. But is it uh, right? I did not know that. Yeah, See, that's why out. we have the show, a priest and a rabbi, because you have some introspection. I just think of the Valentine's Day massacre in Chicago. So mm-hmm. this is a kind of a dark day for Chicago mob bosses because yeah. this is the day they got gunned down yeah. over in St. Patrick's Church. So um, today we are very excited to have to our program. Are we really excited though? Uh, I am. You I are. Am. I, I've, I've been waiting. I've been, I've been waiting. I've been waiting uh, many, many, many a time for this. Um, it is with uh, immense pleasure. And, and great, uh, great joy that we bring on uh, Rabbi Eli Friedman. Um, rabbi Friedman is the associate rabbi at Road of Shalom in Philadelphia. Um, and uh, Rabbi Eli and I have a very strong connection as we uh, both attended rabbinical school. And uh, Eli, was, uh, Eli was my roommate um, in, uh, in the house on the cemetery in Hoop Lane in, uh, Golders Green, uh, in London. Um, and, uh, uh, Rabbi Friedman was the, uh, also attended rabbinical school in HUC, Hebrew Union College in New York City, uh, to where he was ordained in the same class as my wife. So it gives us a great pleasure this morning to welcome to our program, uh, Rabbi Eli Friedman. Thank you so much. You guys hear me all right? Oh, we can totally hear you. And, and all right. Ra- Rabbi, 
the reason why we're bringing you on the show, of course, is, uh, you know, we are during Black History Month have been taking on issues uh, not just involving uh, let's celebrate various uh, uh, African-American leaders or black leaders in America. But we also want to take on and go below the surface of uh, what are some of the. Uh, systematic issues that we see um, in our country uh, that uh, are, are, let's say, supporting or channeling or lifting up uh, uh, just the, the issues that we still have with racism. And, uh, and so you uh, and the work that you have done have worked with an incredible organization you guys were one of the founding partners with, with Power in Philadelphia. Yep. And I just went to the website. It's fantastic. And so you guys have been taking from an interfaith uh, uh, perspective from an interfaith journey of how do you guys take on systematic racism in Philadelphia? And it's not just talk. You guys are not just talking about it. You guys are doing it. So can you give us just a little bit of, 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 of a little bit of history of just your work at the synagogue, but then also how that has brought in the work that you do at, uh, at power? Yeah, definitely. So first I'll just say, I, I was able to pull up the, uh, the, the live YouTube and um, <laughs> Rabbi Durbin, that shirt just, it looks, it looks fantastic. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying to go. You know, when we did the first program, I, I I wore, according to Father Anderson, I wore an what was it? An electric shirt. I was on fire. Is that what you had? Uh, yeah, you, you you were so on fire. I had to put on like SPF 50 sunscreen in here because of his electric shirt. Uh, I'm gonna start wearing just white shirts. <laughs> Rabbi Eli, did 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 uh, did Rabbi Durbin often rock those shirts uh, in in uh, in seminary? Honestly, I, I feel like he mostly rocked a lot of like um, white undershirts with holes in them, as well, <laughs> quite a bit. But uh, he's really grown. I think uh, I think uh, his wife, you know, Rabbi Rose, really um, she uh, she kind of took his style to the next level. So I think we can thank her for mm -hmm. for, for his style. Although I did uh, gift him a, a lovely sports jacket. Uh, you still have that one? I now? do. I do. Sitting proudly in my closet. Stain on it, but otherwise it looks great. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the work that you do over uh, at the um, at the temple, and then also with with power. Yeah. So um, I guess I'll start with a little history of Road of Shalom because I think it kind of places us to understand a little bit of especially the Jewish sort of African-American experience in America and in the Northeast, which, you know, maybe I'll start with saying, even before I get there, is just that we've actually seen some tensions recently kind of arise again, and people have been following some stuff around, you know, things that, that have gone on in Jersey City and Brooklyn and other areas, some kind of historic um, tensions between the African-American Jewish community, which have really, I think a lot of it has come out of... Uh, the history, which Road of Shalom really was a part of, which is, you know, there were a lot of Jewish communities in, in inner city uh, places, Philadelphia, Boston, New York, and we sort of saw um, white flight, you know, in the, especially in the, in the 1950s across the Northeast. Philadelphia was a really great example, and Road of Shalom was an example of that, that we had this downtown congregation that was... Um, you know, predominantly Jewish and predominantly Jews living around the congregation as well. And then sort of with that white flight, and Jews were a big part of that. And I should say, not all Jews are white. Not everyone in our congregation is white. But, you know, to, to simplify a little bit, I would say that the vast majority of our congregation would consider themselves white. Um, many of our congregants moved out to the suburbs. 
and um, and you know at the same time we're seeing the Great Migration come up from the south, and in these neighborhoods that were maybe historically Jewish um, then became African American neighborhoods, and I think in some communities that created some conflict. Um, I'd like to say in Philadelphia we've been really lucky that I think from the forefront our congregation um, have sort of in maintaining a presence in in a neighborhood that is predominantly African American despite the fact that not a lot of our congregants live there, we really um, stayed involved in the neighborhood. And um, I think what I'd say is to our, to our sort of forebears, they did a wonderful job. I think it was a different time. I think a lot of the work that was done back then was probably a little bit more paternalistic, was a little bit more how can we help these sort of poor black folks in our neighborhood. It was coming from a wonderful place, and it was amazing. What we've seen, though, is we've really seen a reemergence of Center City in Philadelphia, congregants moving back downtown, and now we're living amongst each other and kind of rethinking what, what our relationship is with one another. And um, one of the big things that's come out of that is our, our interfaith uh, community organizing group, Power, and really work on, on racial justice. Uh, Power is part of a national network called Faith in Action. Um, you guys in Florida actually are very lucky because uh, the wonderful Wes Lathrop, who used to be up here in Philadelphia running Power, is uh, down there doing statewide organizing for you guys. And it's really rooted, you know, community organizing is rooted in relationships. It's rooted in dialogue. It's rooted in conversation. And it really began with our congregation, a few others, a number of African-American congregations, just asking questions among their members. What, what's the pain going on in community? Community, what's keeping you up at night? And what we found was that two communities that felt very separate in a lot of ways were sharing the same pain in the city. And we felt like through our relationships and through that relational power, we could really work to make a difference. And what were those two? You said two communities that were sharing the same pain? Yeah. So um, at least in our case, and I, I would say it's multiple, but I'll say for our community, um, you know, the uh, predominantly sort of middle-class Jewish community, the, the biggest thing that lifted up for us was, was education. Um, the, Philly, the Philly district schools, um, you know, have had a lot of issues over the years, and as we did research, we really saw the biggest issue was around funding and that there wasn't enough statewide funding coming into Philadelphia. Um, we, we saw this pain. You know, I, I talked to congregants. I remember one congregant I talked with, Natalie. I remember her telling me um, that her and her husband both worked, like, multiple jobs. They didn't take vacations. They didn't, like, get the kids' birthday presents or anything like this because the neighborhood they lived in, the local public school, was just really not an option for them. And they, want, and they were sending their kids to private school. And we often think of, like, private school families as, you know, these rich, well-off families. But this was a family really struggling to make to make ends meet because they felt like they had no other option mm. at the same time friends like um um reverend mark tyler at mother bethel ame church were having the same conversation with his community um you know of african-american folks and they were feeling the exact same pain and talking about the same issues of schools and as we began to do research we realized that a lot of the funding issues um, in Pennsylvania were rooted in, in racism and in historic racism, and that we had an opportunity to work together to try to help all of our communities and at the same time bring our communities together. Okay, so you guys saw an issue, you saw a mutual pain. There was something that united everyone, which was the mutual pain. Both, both folks, uh, different demographics of folks were hurting because of this issue of poor education. And 
did was power the reason why you all were able to organize and be unified and be together in taking on this issue of of education and having a a, a, a structural uh, racism that was limiting funding for schools in that area was it because of power or did that conversation start before being a part of power Power is really what, what got that conversation started, I would say, for us. It just created a, a convening place for us to begin to have those conversations. We also had some great trainings. Um, I remember going with, um, with uh, Reverend Mark Tyler um, down to a training in, in uh, New Orleans, actually, and um, hearing Michelle Alexander speak at this training, and I was just, like, blown away. If, you know, I imagine many people are familiar with her work, uh, the new Jim Crow and, you know, hearing just about, you know, for her it was this focus on institutional racism and the prison system, but um, to hear her speak, but also just to, to be together. I think a lot of this work started with clergy for us and then it sort of led to the congregants. Um, for me, it was, again, it comes down to the relationships. I'll tell you a, a fun story. I remember walking down Bourbon Street. We had some time off in the conference with, uh, with Reverend Tyler on one side of me and uh, Bishop Dwayne Royster, another, um, he actually is our interim director right now of Tower, uh, another African-American pastor. And, you know, just getting to know these guys, having a good time. We're walking down the street. And I don't know if you guys have been to Bourbon Street recently, but right. um, it, it's, it's not a place for, for clergy to be walking around. <laughs> and, uh, or you know, is women, it? <laughs> there are women catcalling us from the windows, there all these go. kind of things. And, it, and I still remember Reverend Tyler, he grabs my arm and he says, Rabbi, lead me to the light, Rabbi. Lead me to the light and keep me from sin. You know, it was just funny stories like that, that, that you know, as much as we, we end up doing some really powerful work, it's also just relational and getting to know one another and really being friends. These are people I've had over my house for dinner. These are people um, that we show up for each other, and I think that, that really is, is where all this work is rooted in. Um, you know, I remember after that awful shooting in Charleston, South Carolina, at an AME church, me and my parents, we showed up at Reverend Tyler's church. We knew we had to be there that next Sunday. And I'll tell you, the, uh, the shooting, you know, um, last year in, in Pittsburgh, um, it was on a Saturday morning, so I didn't have my cell phone with me or anything. Um, it wasn't until I looked at my cell phone later that I that I found out about it. The person I found out about it was Reverend Tyler, who had who had called me and and he'd, he had heard about it right away and said, "What can I do? How can we be there?" And so um, it's those relationships that then everything's rooted in. That's really what what power, what sort of faith based community organizing really pushes. And then from those relationships, then we can we can accomplish anything. Hmm. Have you have you? In, in terms of Road of Shalom and, and, and your community, um, has Road of always been committed to social justice issues and, and, and certainly looking at um, you know African American issues? Has that always been a strong focus of the congregation and the community? It has been. Um, one of my favorite things, actually, in my office is a photo of three of our past presidents um, from the 1960s. Um, maybe it's late 50s, I think it's 60s, um, standing with Dr. King. 
and that they had been doing work with him. Um, Matt, as you know well, you know, the reform movement, mm-hmm. um, of which, you know, we're both a part of, um, has been has been involved in, in this work since the onset. You know, the Civil Rights Bill was drafted in the offices of our of our movement's social justice headquarters in, in Washington, D.C., in the, at the Religious Action Center. Mm-hmm. What I'd say, though, is the biggest change, I think, is the way in which this relationship um, between the African American community, and I think, um, I, I think there was a time, and I, and I want to be careful with this language, but I think there was a time when Jews and African Americans really marched together, both in sort of similar solidarity of oppression. Mm-hmm. I think, by and large, um, the American Jewish community has seen in the past fifty years. Um, a lot of upward mobility, and we are the beneficiaries of a lot of privilege. Um, again, I'm speaking in general terms. It's, there are plenty of African-American Jews. There are plenty of Jews who do not have privilege in different ways. But I think, by and large, we've seen more privilege in those past 50 years. And so how do we, you know, what is, it's one thing when, you know, Dr. King and Heschel, you know, Rabbi Heschel were marching, marching together in Selma, and we still need support. But what does it look like now in a new mode where we do have a certain amount of privilege? Look, at the end of the day, I'm not as worried to get, about getting pulled over by a cop because I'm white. Um, I'm still Jewish. There's still areas where I don't have privilege, but what does that mean? How do we relate in that way? And what does it mean to be in relationship and to be working around racial justice in a time when when the conversation has shifted a little? Rabbi, when so these topics that you're bringing up here, we've we've mentioned a lot of key words, hot words, institutional racism, structural racism, uh, um, privilege, white privilege. Uh, These topics sometimes can immediately get folks on the defensive, especially white folks, right? And so when you want to try to get buy-in, and I don't know if you've, it sounds like your your congregation has a history of talking about, using this language of of talking about these topics. Uh, So maybe this doesn't pertain to having the conversation at at your congregation, uh, but when you've been in discussion, whether it is at various temples or synagogues or other places of worship or just in other public forums, how have you how have you learned that uh, to, to effectively start this conversation and dialogue just to introduce to folks who might be like, listen, man, it's it's 2020, like racism's over, right? And, and now it's just now it's about just picking yourself up by your bootstraps and getting to work and working hard and doing well. And if you do well and follow the law, you're, you're going to be good. You'll be fine. Uh, how, how do you start these conversations about this thing like, like structural racism, which people might be like, I don't even know what that means. Yeah, I think, um, again, I, you know, I keep coming back to it. A lot of it starts in the relationship, and a lot of it starts in stories. We, we tell a lot of stories. I was gathered just a couple weeks ago with, um, um, with a, a whole North Philadelphia, um, what we call our North Philadelphia Clergy Caucus. This is a group of clergy from North Philadelphia, which actually is me and all black uh, <laughs> pastors um, because of the way the Philadelphia sort of is geographically laid out. Our synagogue is, is toward the north, and really all the other synagogues are either in Center City or the suburbs, and most of the sort of white mainline uh, Protestant groups are in other parts of the city, and North Philadelphia is predominantly African-American. And we were, we were talking a lot about gun violence, um, sort of the topic we were looking at, um, which, of course, I feel, you know, I, I couldn't not, you know, mention today, obviously thinking about everyone down in Florida and all my, you know, friends and colleagues in, in Parkland on this uh, second anniversary. 
um, we were we were talking about gun violence, and we just started telling stories. And you know, these clergy were telling really personal stories of uh, you know of a nephew getting getting shot in a, in a gang attack and other things. And you know, whatever your beliefs are on the on the political realm and in national politics. When someone tells you a story of their life and, and a very real thing, you can't argue with a story. You can't argue with somebody's, with somebody's narrative. Um, this is someone's personal account. And I think it's those stories that bring us closer together. And so we sort of went around the room, and I'm hearing all these stories of, of real pain and gun violence in these very communities. And it comes to me, and, I, and I'll be honest, I, my first reaction was, like, I got nothing. Like, I, I don't know anyone who was shot. I, I don't have shootings in my neighborhood where I live. Um, but then I shared about sort of how I felt after the, the shootings in Pittsburgh and how, how I have, when I get up there to lead service and give a sermon, it's a different feeling, and I'm, I'm kind of looking out at the congregation, always a little wary if someone new comes in. Um, and I just live with a different sense of anxiety now. And that, um, it, although it was a very different story, they all sort of related. And suddenly, I think two people with very different experiences in some way were really able to come together around, uh, around one, one justice issue. But have you, have you encountered, though, when you're trying to get buy-in from or start this conversation with folks who maybe are not a part of power, like that interfaith organization you're a part of, and when you're just trying to just sort of uh, <laughs> evangelize sort of the the, yeah. the 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 work of let let's talk about this because I think that's a big challenge is um, you know in the second part of the show I really want to go deep into the work that that power is doing but just just I want to start baby steps here. Having the conversation, and I think that last week we had, it was, uh, you know, the priest and the rabbi here, and then we had another priest and a rabbi, so it was four white guys talking about racism, and, and we kind of put it out there by saying, hey, we're just going to call this what it is, mm-hmm. and, and but but then, I, I think it was uh, Rabbi, um, was it Ethan? Berg. Berg. Daniel Berg. Yeah, Daniel Berg said, this is perfect. This is exactly who should be talking about racism. But, you know, for, 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 for white guys talking about racism because the black leaders are saying, we've been talking about this forever. You all need to start talking about this. And so how, how have you found where you can get buy-in, especially when you're talking about structural racism, that the work that was done in, during Jim Crow in the 50s, uh, the 40s, that has led to still we still have this, this, this structure system that it might not be obvious to our eyes, uh, but to those who are marginalized, it's very obvious of, of there are still s- s- structures inherent in our institution right now that are not making it equal for all people to succeed. Yeah, we've had, look, we, we have congregants that are not interested in this work, and, and I think they will say, you know, exactly sort of that, that line of, that you mentioned earlier, that, you know, we live in a post-racial society, or, you know, racism, it's 2020, you know, forget about it. Um, and we have those folks, and, and they're going to find other ways to, to live out their, their justice work and their, and their faith, sure. I think. Um, and I will, I will be blunt in that the vast majority and maybe all of the congregations that are involved in this work and that we've been able to bring into this work tend to lean more liberal in terms of their politics and, and in some ways already be bought in. Um, we've had a harder time reaching out to kind of across the aisle um, to maybe more, I guess, not to be too stereotypical, but sort of, you know, conservative white evangelical congregations. 
um, they're they're not as much a part of power, and we've had a harder time, I think, reaching out to those folks who maybe are not naturally inclined to want to jump right in on this work. Do you do um, you find do yeah. you find that those that that are resistant or are not interested in uh, you know the, the the racial discrimination and and that type of stuff in terms of well you know Rabbi this doesn't really affect us. And trying to change the conversation by saying, you know, looking back to the times of Rabbi Heschel, of any time that any people are oppressed, it is of Jewish concern. Do you find that you have to try and use that in some way to garner support or buy-in or, you know, stuff to do? Yeah, you know, there's, there's after the Holocaust, there was that phrase, never again. Mm-hmm. And I think there, there's two different ways in which, uh, at least for the Jewish community, they viewed never again. It's never again, period. Mm-hmm or never again to us. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And I think, um, look, I think the pendulum swings at different times. Sometimes our communities are more insular, and we're really focused more on, on protecting ourselves. There's other times when, when we're ready to reach out more. Um, we face that. I, I feel like a lot of the work, though, um, Christian, to get back to sort of your original question, a lot of it's got to come internally from the groups themselves. So I'll give an example. I have a, a good friend and colleague, Pastor Bob Roberts, who's out in Texas at a, you know, one of these big megachurch, evangelical, everything you'd expect. And Bob Roberts is someone who I do, do a lot of interfaith work with, and um, we've actually had the chance to travel to the Middle East a few times, do some work in, in Arab countries. Um, and Bob brought an imam into his his congregation mm-hmm. and put him up you know brought him up to the to the to the to the pulpit to speak and bob lost i think 600 members of his congregation that very day man because of this work but bob felt like this is the work we need to be doing these are the conversations we need to be having and i think he was willing to put himself out on the line in that way and at the end of the day i think that's that's a big part of the work that I think there are those that are in the Jewish community that are more conservative, especially more on the sort of orthodox, ultra-orthodox end. I think we within the Jewish community have an obligation to kind of push it within our own community. I think similarly within the, you know, at least talking within the religious sphere, I think we have an obligation to kind of to push push our own. Wow. So this is this is great, man. You're, this is this this there's a cost. There's a cost to doing this work, you know. So oh, yeah. we're going to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to go uh, deeper. So, so what? What is the work and the issues that power the interfaith group that's out in Philadelphia has been taking on? And and Rabbi Eli, just talk about how you guys have organized the work you've done, maybe the tension that's been there, or the success you've been having. Uh, so we're going to keep on diving deeper here at. Uh, a priest and a rabbi. If you have any questions for Rabbi Eli or for any of us here, uh, the number here is 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-9788. Let's talk about the power of interfaith work to end structural racism or how you see structural racism in your communities and want to learn more about what are some steps you can take. Rabbi Eli is a great person to, uh, to talk to. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. You're listening to a priest and a rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and please leave a rating and a review. Five-star rating and a positive review 
if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU 1450.com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey, everyone. This is Father Christian here on A Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And and I want to uh, let you know that I have uh, started a uh, YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian. And you can check it out on YouTube. And uh, every Monday, I drop a new episode. And it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. Uh, I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor, someone to be there for you during a challenging time. And you can call the church at 772-287-3244. We also have a group of Stephen ministers who have been trained over... Over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis. They are not counselors. They are trained just to be more of the presence um, of, of Christ or and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh my gosh, my daughter's about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Right, welcome back on the St. Valentine's Day over to a priest and a rabbi. Uh, we have Rabbi Eli Friedman with us who from Rodaf Shalom in Philadelphia who is doing some incredible work out in Philly um, with a wonderful uh, interfaith group called Power. And they are taking on many issues, but a lot, a lot of them based around uh, structural racism. Can I, let, me, let me just interject here, just because, you know, this is now the 67th episode that we've done. No way! And, and watching you grow, Father Anderson, in terms of your ability to speak Hebrew you said wrote of Shalom so eloquently. It just falls off my lips. It was, it was incredible. It just fall, and I took, I took biblical Greek into something. I didn't take Hebrew. Wow. So, yeah, and I, I think it's also important for our listeners to understand, you know, the word wrote of Shalom that, uh, you know, Rabbi Friedman is, uh, is a part of, of uh, there are many synagogues with the same name, but wrote of Shalom in terms of pursuers of peace. And I think that there's something really there of the mission and the vision of what, you know, it, the synagogue is not 
50 years old. I mean, they have a very long-standing history in the city of Philadelphia. They've been around for a very long time. They are one of um, uh, many very large synagogues around the country that that do very impactful and incredible work. Um, and I'm just thrilled to to, to have uh, not only a colleague but a good friend uh, join us today. He wore he wore his best shirt for you, buddy. He wore his best shirt. And again, <laughs> oh, well, all you. of you go onto our YouTube or the WSTU Radio uh, YouTube uh, channel right now, and you can see uh, Rabbi Rabbi Matt's um, awesome disco shirt. So, uh, all right, listen. So we do, we we over this, this month during Black History Month, we we were t- taking on these issues of racism, structural racism. And uh, wanting to have the conversation where it, sometimes that conversation is very challenging to have, especially with fellow white folk. Uh, and there's a part where there's education, there's awareness about all this. Um, but then there's also, well, you got to do something, right? You got to you, you've had the talk. We're talking about white privilege, whether some people get really uncomfortable with that. And maybe we could dialogue and we could tell stories and be like, oh, OK, I see where you're coming from. I can understand my privilege and how you don't have privilege. Uh, but now th- there's a there's an action step. And going to the website for power um, and it's powerinterfaith.org. You can see, you can go to campaigns, and you guys are not just an awareness place of like, let's just march and talk about it. You guys are doing stuff. So, under economic dignity, you guys have a couple programs here Request for Black Work Matters Training, uh, Black Work Matters Green Jobs. Uh, and then you go to education uh, justice, and and there's uh, 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 programs where you want to talk about full and fair funding and how you've worked and you've gone to the capital of Pennsylvania uh, to push for this. So, uh, you talk about how you guys galvanize like that in order to get things done. You guys are being productive, which we all know as fellow clergy, getting groups of clergy together let alone of the same faith. But now you have various faiths together because you got Muslims, you got Jews, you got Christians all working together. How in the world, how in the world did you get everyone to show up out of their crazy, insane clergy lives that's 24 hours a day to, to say, yes, I'm going to go give a bunch of time to this and raise up more leaders from my congregation to come be a part of this so we can get some things done in, in the state of Pennsylvania. Yeah, before before even the the task of just you know people's time there's there was also i think we have issues we had issues with you know the areas which we disagree and there's some fundamental you know we have catholic churches here catholic churches obviously you know very strong stance on on same-sex marriage on abortion which is completely the opposite of where we are in our congregation um you know we have we really have a, a just one example, but a wide variety of differences in in certain beliefs. And so, one of the things that we kind of had to agree on early on was that in order to focus on the work that we want to do, where we agree, we're actually going to have to check some of that stuff at the door. And we've made a point that although my congregation feels strongly about working, um, you know, towards full LGBTQ plus uh, protections in this country and things like that, that was something power was never going to take on. Um, although my congregation, again, is, you know, um, very much, you know, pro-choice, feels very strongly about women's rights uh, over their own bodies. Um, that was something that we were not going to touch with a 10-foot pole of power. Um, and that, I think, although might have been difficult for some people, um, 
allowed us to, to really do the work and to focus on the areas where we do have common pain and common struggle. Right. So you're saying, listen, God has brought us all here together to get some work done. And are we going to allow these key issues, which are not going anywhere, <laughs> to, to, to divide us and just turn a huge God opportunity into just a waste of space? So that's, that's great that you all found that. And, and did you have a was there a, a singular like a, a single voice who was leading that or did you guys all decide that together? There were, you know, it was decided together. There were moments, there were uncomfortable moments. I remember um, at one clergy gathering, um, it was a, I want to say she was probably like Quaker or Unitarian, definitely more on like the the, the far left Christian world, I guess. I don't know if the, the right, how right. Christian, you could probably speak better to where it all fits, but pretty liberal Christian tradition. Um, I don't even know if whether Unitarian is even counted, but... Uh, right, no, yeah. We'll, we'll, leave, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> I'll leave that one alone. And, yeah, I think we'll all, but um, and, and I'm not trying to be disparaging by any means. <laughs> right, right, right. Clear. Just kind of putting, placing this person where she's at politically and, and religiously. And um, she was asked to do the final benediction at this very diverse gathering. And she had this actually very powerful call to action where she said, you know, and if you believe in education rights, stand up. And if you believe in, you know, racial justice, stand up. And then, you know, she, I guess, was on a roll, and she kind of said, you know, and if you believe in a woman's right to choose, stand up. And if you believe, you know, in, in marriage, stand up. And there were a few notable people who didn't stand. Right. And when we finished, we actually... It was actually it was a Catholic priest um, who raised it and said, you know, that really wasn't fair, and and that was not cool. And actually, I couldn't stand up in that moment because that would have been true to who I was. And you actually made me feel really uncomfortable. Um, and that uncomfort and him voicing that and the conversation that ensued from that was I still remember this. This is you know this is probably nine years ago or something at this point, but I still remember that conversation. It was painful and it wasn't easy. But I think we trusted one another. We, um, we were in relationship, and we were ready to have that conversation. And I think that brought us together even, even stronger. And when you guys, you know, I think the one thing that's going to unite you guys, of course, is, is the mutual pain, but also, obviously, God. And so are there, uh, it, it, it sounds like, you know, I'm sure you guys have a prayer life together with opening and closing in prayer. But is there also any other form of worship that you guys do together to help to exercise the spirit that, that flows through every Muslim, Jew, and Christian in, that, in, in those rooms? Oh, completely. Everything we do, I mean, God is there and, and, and prayer is there. Um, we have one of our, one of our former organizers who, who, just, uh, who actually just left for another job, uh, uh, Pastor Nick O'Rourke, who's one of the most beautiful voices, young African-American man in the, I want to say, UCC church. And um, we're, in, we're in Harrisburg, uh, the state capital, and a few of our leaders, we have this huge group, a few of our leaders are meeting with the, the head of the state senate, who's been really an adversary to us and was, you know, kind of from the, the central part of the state, was not interested in listening to us, kind of saw people from Philadelphia in a certain lens. And um, Nick said, you know, while the folks are in there, we're all standing outside the office, he said, we're going we're gonna to pray for them. And he led us in song mm. and in singing these, these, you know, these justice songs and these, um, these hymns to God that really transcended any of our particular um, faith traditions, but really spoke of that one power that connects all of us. And, and singing, to me, is you know, such a powerful thing, and we know that from the Civil Rights Movement and today, and just being in those, the halls of the Capitol and singing mm. 
um, and you know, singing so loud that I imagine they heard us in that office yeah. and, and and could could feel that power. That is that is powerful, and and, and kudos to that guy who was leading the songs because I know I've invited uh, Rabbi uh, Durbin to come on some prayer walks that we do around town. But I'm like, I just gotta let you know though, there's gonna be a lot of in the name of Jesus's and a lot of Jesus stuff. So I, we want you there, but I also want you to feel comfortable and not just feel like the token Jewish community that's surrounded by a bunch of Christians like praying every five minutes in the name of Jesus. So it's you know, you have to be very, I mean, when I just get a bunch of Christian organizations together, Christian groups, we have to figure out what are the hymns that are going to really, that we all get, we all understand. Because even with just, in, in with Christianity, that if I bring the AME church along and the Baptist church along and then the Episcopals and the, uh, and the uh, Catholics, what hymns do we all know that we're all going to sing so we all can be a part of this? So I can imagine that you really got to be, know your stuff if you're going to get Jews, Muslims, and, and Christians all chiming away passionately inside of a state capital um, without someone being like, wait, what did you, did you just say Jesus? Um, you know? <laughs> um, so let's, let's talk about the, 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 the action that you guys have done. So can you, can you give us a success story uh, or some success, some success stories that have come out of this interfaith work that you all are doing to take on the pains in, in your community? Yeah. So we've, we've thankfully had a couple success stories. Um, I guess I've been talking a lot about education, so I'll stay with that because that's really been the thing that that our congregation has worked the most on. Um, we, you know, part of sort of the organizing model. After you begin to have these conversations, you lift up that pain, you look at the issue, and then you begin to do research. And we really had a broad group that did some research, um, and we really uh, we looked at the funding. Um, in different districts in Pennsylvania, and we saw, um, and you can see this right on the Power website, there's lots of, we've got a lot of data on there, very data-driven in the work we do, that um, communities that were predominantly African-American, even if it was at the same income level, so we're really not talking about, you know, just economics, we really are talking about race here, that um, poor black communities were systematically getting less money um, for per student um, than poor white communities. And um, so we, we set about pushing for something called, and in coalition with a number of other education nonprofits, and pushing for something called a fair funding formula, which basically was going to redistribute funding from the state to different uh, municipalities based on certain um, criteria around, you know, English as a second language or, you know, looking more at, at poverty, race, other things. Um, in districts to ensure that every student's getting the same amount of funding and has the same opportunity. Um, we were able to, to have a big win a number of years ago um, where they said all, all new money going forward from 2014-15 budget onwards will go into this model. Um, the only problem is that ends up only being a couple percent. Uh, it's going to grow a little bit every year, but it's not the kind of major systematic change we're looking for, but it's a step along the way. And we're not stopping, and it's good to get these little wins along the way, which are always really helpful. Um, another work we did was um, uh, down at the airport. Um, we found that, you know, the, the, um, the people that, like, check your bags at the curbside? Yes. Um, at least here in, in Philadelphia, those are considered, like, tippable uh, positions. So just like a waiter or a waitress, they are legally allowed to be paid, you know, $3 an hour or whatever it is. Um, as you might guess, those people aren't making the same kind of tips as waiters and waitresses. Right. And it's really, a, it's, it's not a livable wage. And so, so we worked with a, with a union. We worked on helping them organize. Um, and we staged a number of, of protests and actions down um, 
at the at the airport, um, which was pretty pretty powerful. Um, some amazing work, and um, you know those workers were predominantly African American. I don't know if that was particularly a, a racial justice issue, but more of just a living wage issue. And and so did would that lead to a change? It did. Um, we actually, um, they were, the, the city um, changed uh, a city mandate, which basically, because they have a lot of power over the airport, and they said that all subcontracted employees at the airport have to, have to get minimum wage. Well, we're still pushing for a $15 an hour minimum wage, but that's, right. that's a long way off, but at least the seven twenty-five an hour is almost double what they were making. So where, where let me, Rabbi, let me ask you this. So for you personally, or what you hear in the group, why is work like that, like a livable wage for someone at the airport, why is that so important to your faith uh, and, and to your walk as a child of God? Mm. Well, I'm glad you asked that. I think, so I think for me, I'd say it, the first piece of it, it, it starts all Genesis 127. We are created in God's image. And I think that in Hebrew we call it B'Tselem Elohim. I know you're working on your, your Hebrew Christian. There's a good phrase to know. Um, B'Tselem Elohim, in the image of God. And to me, that's, for my faith, that is the very basis of this work, that we are all in God's image. We are all God's children. We all have that, that divinity within us, that, that spark of, of God's holiness. Um, and therefore we have, we have an obligation to, to help others. Um, you know, also for, for those listening that may be on the more conservative end, um, I think many of us are, are believers in, in people working and in dignity, and that, that we're not looking to give people handouts or anything like that, and that, but that when, a, when someone working, you know, 40 hours a week still needs to be getting public assistance because it doesn't pay enough for them to even have an apartment or put enough food on the table, there's something really wrong with the system. And so um, we believe in dignity. I think that's a big part of my tradition as well, and, and trying to lift people up. Um, the famous Jewish sage uh, Maimonides, the Rambam, uh, had a list of what he called his eight levels of tzedakah, of, of sort of just giving. And, you know, ranging from just giving someone money on the street, ultimately to the, the, the highest level of, of sort of tzedakah, of just giving, according to Maimonides, is actually not giving someone money, but giving them a loan or teaching them a trade or lifting them up so that they can get a job in order that they can help themselves, you know, the famous teach a man to fish. And so I think that's a big part of, of my personal beliefs, I think our religion, as well as the work that the power's doing. So um, the work really that... empowering the community, and especially the African-American community in Philadelphia, empowering them. So when you guys share in faith, to go, when you're doing this interfaith work to take on these issues, you have Jews, you have Christians, which you, we can all agree on Hebrew scripture together. But then when you throw in Muslims and maybe you have other faiths that are involved, how do you guys draw upon scripture? Do you guys just refer, I saw, I think on the website, like sacred texts, or how do you guys draw upon the word for all of us in our respective faiths is what feeds us and fuels us. It is, it is everything. So when you have, I know you have uh, uh, Muslims and black Muslims in, as part of your group. How do you say, okay, we're, we're, God is leading us to do this work. Um, so with you, with the Christians, you can say Genesis one, let's bring in, we're all made in the image of God. Yeah. And you can kind of do that with Muslims because they do look at Hebrew scripture and Christian scripture as part of, as part of it. They do respect it. Um, but do you guys, how do you do it without it? Make it seem like you're just trying to, Throw in a Quran verse so everyone feels accepted. 
Yeah, and I'll say, I think, um, you know, power has been predominantly of the Abrahamic faiths, and that does make it easier. Right. You know, because we, we really do share much more of a commonality. Um, and there's so many verses in the Quran that are so similar to to both, you know, the Hebrew Bible and the, and the Christian Bible, um, so that we are able to draw on, on those texts. Um, and I think, you know, we learn. We learn about each other's traditions we share i think we're always very careful in sharing and i'm I'm thinking back to uh the 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 prayer walks that you guys take where if we are sharing something in our tradition to make that clear to say you know i'm offering a prayer in the jewish tradition and to say that or if someone says you know i'm going to pray in the christian tradition that when they when they finish with you know in jesus's name or however um that i'm not offended because they've made it very clear i'm praying in my tradition right now you know um, and I think when we name it, it's helpful to say that we, we do have these particularities, and we're going to lift those up, we're going to teach each other, we're going to learn from each other. That's good. That's good. So what would be, if someone's listening right now, they're in their community, they know there's some pain in there, they know there's some brokenness, let's say they, they let's just go for, they, they know that there, there is some, uh, it's not equal where they're at. Then not, yeah. not all men are created equal, in, in, or at least the perception is in their community. They can see things, whether it's education disparity, uh, pay disparity, um, whether you have a part of town which has definitely been uh, segregated in the past, and still, and it's just sort of kind of wallowing without the attention for, that the rest of the community gets. You know, if, if a person of faith is is saying like how do i start to drum up and gather people from other faiths here about let's 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 at least start the discussion let's start the dialogue what would be your advice to that person who's listening right now of like just a first step or a second step of trying to gather folks together to say we can be really powerful together um but you don't want to just sound like a pipe dream and being really idealistic but what are the discussions they can do when they first call up that, that Christian person, calls up someone over the synagogue or, and says, hey, um, we notice this issue that's going on. Let's take this on together because I believe our faith is calling us to take this on. Um, what's your advice to that person? Yes, I think, uh, again, I'm a, I know I'm a broken record, but relationships, that's really, you know, that's what it all comes down to. And, I, and I'll just share that much of my personal theology is really rooted in in the theology of relationships, and I think a lot of the the Jewish philosopher Martin Buber, the theologian who um, I know uh, Matt's familiar with, and probably some of the listeners, and and maybe you as well, Christian, who um, who you know wrote this book, I and Thou, um, this sort of dialectic theology, as he called it, where really he saw God in our God was in our relationships. When we truly meet someone, when we truly meet someone as they are, and not with some agenda or anything else, right. um, God is the electricity, you know, in that, in that meeting. And I think that's a, a big first step, is just learning, listening, listening to the pain of each other, hearing that um, without any agenda or anything else. Um, and, and in that listening, then we begin to kind of hear those commonalities. Um, in terms of like the, to use a Yiddish word, the tachlis, the actual like steps, um, there are some amazing uh, faith-based community organizing groups out there, including Faith in Action, who we work with, and they have a strong presence um, in Florida, and folks can reach out. We were very lucky that we had an organizer who, who was hired, who came to Philadelphia, and he, he did a lot of the work, to be honest, because he convened us. And he, he started by, he must have had 200 coffee dates, you know, in his first, mm. like, two months. 
and he met with as many clergy as he could, and he just started asking questions on, you know, what's your community feeling? And then he brought us all together, and we started talking. And and I guess the last piece was we really we made commitments to each other, and we hold each other accountable. Mm. And I think that's a really big part of it as well, that we feel accountable to one another. Um, and through that shared responsibility and through those relationships, we've we've grown. It doesn't happen overnight, and these campaigns don't happen overnight. They mm-hmm. take a long time. It's a lot of talking. It's a lot of research mm-hmm. um, until you finally get to that day where you you know where you show up at the state capitol or whatever else, and then you don't win, and then you go right. back around again and you do it again. And, <laughs> but as you know, as as Dr. King said, you know, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, Rabbi Eli, we we are so grateful that you take. To, uh, you know, we know you got a lot on your plate, but that you took the time to be here with us, and um, we are grateful. And for all that you shared and all the wisdom, God bless all the work that you're doing with uh, your temple, but also with Power Interfaith. Keep on fighting the good fight uh, and uh, revealing God's image in, in, in and, and, this You know, as, as we as we end the show, and I, I know, um, you know, Rabbi Freeman, I, I I know you're familiar with the phrase from from Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who who used a very a very impactful and very powerful phrase that said, uh, "Pray as if everything depended upon God, act as if everything depended upon you." And I think through our discussion. And through the mobilization and, and, and galvanizing the public to be able to be aware of these social justice issues, to be able to really put ourselves forward. Yeah. Well, God bless you, brother. So uh, we can go do. Uh, God def- bless you guys. Thank you so much. So for everyone listening, you can go to powerinterfaith.org and to learn more about uh, Rabbi Eli. What's the website for your for your temple? Rodefshalom.org. R-O-D-E-P-H. S H A L O M. And if they want to find you on any of the socials, where 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 would you? Where, yeah, where is, where you... I'm on uh, I'm on Facebook, Eli Friedman. I'm on Instagram. I'm on uh, I'm on Twitter. I got Philly Rabbi. Yeah, a really good one. The but Philly I, I don't Rabbi. tweet enough. I need to tweet more with a with a handle like that. Heck yeah! So, all right, brother. <laughs> God bless you, man. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Bye bye. All right, so Rabbi, let's talk about some action. You got something coming up. So we got, uh, at the end of February, we have a, uh, a whole program called uh, Shabbat Across America. Uh, we're doing uh, great stuff here on a Thursday night. Uh, but the most important thing that we're doing is on March 1st at 1 o'clock at the Roosevelt Bridge, we are bringing together uh, folks of all, all different spectrums to march against hate. Uh, it is a march against anti-Semitism. It is an elimination of discrimination. It will be at the Roosevelt Bridge at 1 o'clock. So for all of our faith communities, we hope that you will support us. We hope that you will show up and uh, fight the fight with us so that we can bring about some semblance of peace and harmony uh, within our world. And build relationship. I think what Absolutely. Rabbi Eli was, was talking about. Come so you can, any of the time there's an interfaith walk or anything like this together, you learn and you grow and you're like, wow, you get to know folks. So we are so grateful for you all being here. Um, and so God bless you. You are made in the image of God. So step into that. So we will see you next Friday. You can always catch this podcast. Go to a priest and a rabbi podcast. Give us a comment. Share it with friends. We'll see you next Friday. Peace.